following sermon is from the Westminster Pulpit, extending the worship ministry of Westminster Presbyterian Church, Lancaster, Pennsylvania. We are a local congregation of the Presbyterian Church in America. Please contact us for permission before reproducing this message in any format. Psalm 78 is a, a, a long psalm, uh, but I want to read the first eight verses together tonight as we think about what it is that God is doing through these volunteers in the lives of our children. And God's word speak to us from Psalm 78. Give ear, O my people, to my teaching. Incline your ears to the words of my mouth. I will open my mouth in a parable. I will utter dark sayings from of old. Things that we have heard and known that our fathers have told us. We will not hide them from their children, but will tell them to the coming generation the glorious deeds of the Lord and His might and the wonders that He has done. He established a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel, which He commanded our fathers to teach to their children that the next generation might know them, the children yet unborn, and arise to tell them to their children so that they should set their hope in God and not forget the works of God, but keep His commandments. That they should not be like their fathers, a stubborn and rebellious generation, a generation whose heart was not steadfast, whose spirit was not faithful to God. Let's pray. God, this is Your Word given to Your people. Pray that You would open our minds and our hearts to learn from Your Word but most importantly, to give glory to you and to see from your word more and more reasons we have to give thanks and glory to our God. And we pray this would be to the honor of your name. And through Christ we pray. Amen. And I was thinking as I meditated on this text about uh, a group that I was a part of in college. In college, I was a part of a, a men's music group called Mu Alpha. And our men's music group did a number of things. We, we would uh, form barbershop quartets and sing. We would, we would put on concerts, music concerts. We would kind of spearhead a number of activities around campus. And over four years, we, we had a lot of fun together as, as a group of guys. In, in the spring of each year, a, a tradition started where the graduating seniors of our group would share stories, share memories of things that had happened as we spent our, our four years together. And so I remember, be about 40 of us in, in this group would gather on uh, late, of course, obviously, we were in college, late, uh, one weeknight, uh, didn't have to be a weekend, and uh, we would gather in, in this room and, and the seniors would share their stories. And I remember as a freshman, uh, sitting there in the room listening to one senior recount the story of a brilliant idea that he had, a brilliant idea that only a college guy could have actually attempted. And he told me about a, a lake, uh, really a large pond, uh, that was in the center, uh, a little off the center of our campus. And in that small lake or large pond, there was an island in the middle. And this senior was 
sitting there and kind of looking at that island when he was suddenly struck with the idea, I am going to have a cookout on that island. And so, uh, armed with this idea, he and a couple of buddies headed to Walmart. They bought meat, they bought buns, they bought toppings, and an inflatable raft. And so, that night, um, because this is one of those things, of course, that you never know if it's really okay, so you wait till night when it's dark and you don't ask anyone, you just go do it. And so, they launched out a little after midnight, uh, dark, out into this lake, their raft. It's about 100 feet from the shore to this island. So they loaded up their, their burgers and their grill and all this. It was about 30 feet into the 100-feet trip when the grill punctured a hole in the inflatable raft. And so here there's three college guys bailing water and rowing as hard as they can in this slowly sinking raft. And uh, they didn't make it uh, to the island. They uh, swam ashore. I suppose if the college starts a scuba class, they may find a small charcoal grill still sitting at the bottom of this lake. And I remember this story as a freshman, one of these stories that stands out. And we would share these stories. And, and what would happen in, our, in, our, in Mu Alpha is, is not, not only would the seniors share their own story, but they would stare, share stories of seniors before then that they remembered as particularly great moments of, of brilliance or failure. And so, you know, as, as the years went by, we sort of collected this body of stories that would be shared and passed on from, from one group of seniors to the next and, and sort of began to, to take on sort of a life of, of their own. And, uh, of course, as the stories were passed on, um, it, it wasn't just the story that was passed on, but certain commentary would be inserted into the stories. And so you'd have running commentary about the stupidity or, or outlandishness of certain ideas as these stories were passed on. But, again, we were left with this body of stories that began to define who we are and what this, what this group was. I don't know if it was a good idea that these stories defined what our group was or not. But I think this, this picture of, of this group of guys passing on stories, adding stories that they've experienced, but passing on stories that they'd heard from guys who went before them is a great illustration of what Asaph, the author of this psalm, is doing here in Psalm 78. In Psalm 78, it's one of the longest poems in the Psalter. It recounts the history of Israel going from Egypt, and they leave Egypt, and until they come uh, up to the promised land. And, and Asaph, of course, is, is going to tell the story, but he's not just going to deliver a straight account of the story. He's also going to add theological commentary as he runs through, saying here's what happened, and here's what we can say about the sin of God's people, or, or the wrath, the just and appropriate wrath of God against his people, or, or here's what we can see about God's mercy and his grace and his salvation despite our people's history. And so Psalm 78 really is this, is this, this history, this collection of stories passed on from, from Asaph to the people who are listening, along with his commentary, his theological commentary. And what we've done is we've read the first eight verses of this chapter tonight, and we haven't heard any of the stories yet. These first eight verses are just an introduction to the stories. They're Asaph giving some preliminary commentary, if you will, some preliminary words about what he's about to do. But in giving these preliminary words, Asaph gives us something of the, the how the what and the why of this storytelling process. What does this storytelling process look like in Israel? 
amongst God's people. And so I want to look at this how, this what, and this why briefly from these eight verses. If you look at the first couple of verses here, the first three verses, uh, Asaph begins to, to describe how this is going to happen. He starts by inviting his listeners to come, come and listen, come and hear my teaching. Incline your ears to the words of my mouth. And of course, what Asaph is telling aren't just stories he's experienced or stories he's come up with, but, but he tells us that he's going to speak words that he himself heard from his father and his fathers before him. And, and as, you, as you hear this, you want to think about uh, you, you know, an, an Israelite household. And when he talks about his father, that would certainly include his biological father. But of course, it might go back further generations, or it might include uh, a clan or a family of people. We're talking about a community here that's passing on stories. So Asaph says, I've heard these stories from the people before me, and now I want to pass these words on to, to my children and to the children who are coming after me. We're, we're, we're being invited to take a peek into this process that's not unlike what was going on in my college group. The passing on of stories from one generation to the next. But of course, this isn't just a random practice. It's not like someone a few generations before Asaph said, Oh, I know. Why don't I tell my children these stories about what God did? It's not random. You know, in verse 5, and Asaph says, Well, well, actually, this was a process that God himself established. God himself gave testimonies and laws in Israel and commanded us to pass these stories and testimonies on from one generation to the next. And so when you hear this, when you think of God commanding us to pass stories and testimonies of who God is from one generation to the next, some of you might immediately think of Deuteronomy 6. In Deuteronomy 6, God says, These words I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children. You shall talk about them when you sit in your house, when you walk by your way, when you lie down, when you rise up. See, what Asaph is doing in this psalm isn't something that God had just commanded. It's something that he had instilled in Israel as part of the DNA of what a covenant community, of what the community of God's people was supposed to look like. God's given us examples of his might and his wonder. He's given us laws and testimonies. And then he's also given us a process for how God's people pass these stories and testimonies down. And I think a DNA is such a great example. Some of you know what, a little bit about DNA. I don't know much about DNA. Um, but I, I understand from what I've read that scientists have been learning a lot more about DNA just in the last few years of research. And most of us probably know that, that DNA is, is that information code that's responsible for, for how our, our bodies are formed, for the formation of the different organs and, and parts of our body. And the DNA holds the information for that. But what, what scientists have more recently come to find out is that DNA doesn't just hold the information for forming organs or forming parts of our bodies. The DNA also has information that regulates how those organs work, that, that regulates um, even over the whole life of that, of that uh, organism or of that person how things get regulated, how different hormones are, 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 are you know, regulated, how different things happen. And I think that's a great example of what God's doing. 
He gives us the testimonies and the laws and the stories that are the core of this process, but he also tells us how to use them. What do we do with these stories we learn about God? What do we do with this story that we see God's might at work? What do we do with this law or this testimony that God has given us? Well, we pass them on to the next generation. We pass them on to our children and their children and and to our clan's children and our people's children. As a people, we go from one generation to the next, passing on God's words and God's work. You know, it's a, it's a profoundly unmodern and unexciting teaching methodology. Learn something and tell it to your children. Learn something and tell it to your children. You, you can imagine someone saying, well, we need something a little bit more intricate, a little more exciting. We need something a little more cutting edge here. And God says, here's how it's done. You pass on God's stories and God's testimonies about who God is from one generation to the next. I think it's such a beautiful picture because... I think it's very easy to look back at Israel and say, well, you know, how did, how did the Israelites learn about who God was? How, how would an Israelite come to put its, you know, his faith in the God who, who uh, was his God? And I think for me, I think, well, well, clearly an Israelite would actually see God do something amazing. You know, an Israelite would be there at the foot of the mountain and he would see lightning and, and, and thunder and, and hear trumpets blaring at the mountain and he would say, wow, there's God. Or, or maybe he would be there when Israel was sinning and he would see snakes coming and biting the people and the people dying because of their disobedience to God. And he'd say, wow, there's God. Or, and I think about Israel experiencing all these things. But you notice what God does is he doesn't say, my people will learn about me by seeing amazing and miraculous things. It's true. But what does he say? My people learn about me when one generation passes on the stories and the testimonies to the next. How does God anticipate his people remaining faithful to him from one generation to the next? It's by hearing and teaching, hearing and passing on, hearing and speaking. Here's what God did. Son, here's what God did. Daughter, here's what I saw God do. It's this process of passing on who God is and what he had done. That is how God anticipates his people remaining faithful from generation to generation. So this is the how that Asaph gives us. Well, what is it that Asaph is passing on here? That's the second question. What is Asaph telling? Well, if this process is to listen and pass on, listen and pass on, what's being passed on? Verse 4, Asaph tells us, he says, We will tell the coming generation the glorious deeds of the Lord and his might and the wonders of what he has done. And then in verse 5, he adds, God has established a testimony in Jacob and a law in Israel, which he commanded our fathers to teach their children. What's being passed on? Testimonies of glorious things, mighty deeds that God had done on behalf of his people, and laws and testimonies that God had established. Well, what are these glorious deeds? What are the glorious deeds that Asaph would encourage Israel or God would encourage Israel to pass on? There's almost an infinite answer to that question. And of course, the glorious deeds of God, the stories that would be passed on would include a young boy who was hated by his brothers, sold into slavery, falsely accused, forgotten in prison. But God was with him and raised him up to the second position in Egypt to save his people alive. 
The stories would include a young shepherd boy who, who, who went out and faced a giant of epic proportions. But he gave glory to his God and trusted in the name of his God. And so God gave him strength to slay the giant with a stone and a sling. Stories would include a, a man who, who gave testimony of Christ with great power. Testimony of Christ that led the, 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 the Pharisees to stone him. And as this man sat there, he saw Christ and said, Christ, forgive them, forgive them. This story would include the story of, of a man who was also God, who was born in a cave, who taught many things but suffered much violence, who went to the cross and died a death he didn't deserve in order to save helpless sinners like you and me. These are the stories that would be passed on along with many others. But the stories aren't just limited to the stories we would find. Certainly, these stories would also be stories of how God has worked in your life and mine. Stories of son, daughter, grandson, granddaughter. Here is how God worked in my life. I saw God here. This is what He did. Now, I think... uh, the problem is, is a lot of times we think about these stories as just a story to, to, to hear, to learn, and then to know. And so when our Sunday school teachers teach us the story of Adam and Eve for the seven millionth time, we think, yeah, we started with Adam and Eve last year too. I can, uh, you know, I bet he eats the apple again. Um, you know, and we start to say, you know, we know what's happening. We know the story. And so, you know, we kind of yawn. But, you know, go back to my music group for a minute. In my music group, each year we would hear some of the same stories. But what would happen is we'd sort of, we'd get a sense of anticipation for certain stories. You know, by my junior year, I was just waiting to see which senior was going to share the story about the raft that went down in the middle of the lake. I'm ready for this story, because this story defines something of what I think about the people who went before me. This stories meant something about who we were. See, that's what we need to to understand when we're talking about stories of the glorious and mighty deeds of God, they're not just a story about something that happened. We're hearing a story about the God who still lives, who still acts in your life and my life. So when we hear the glorious deeds of God and what he did in this story long ago, it's the same God who's at work in your life and my life. And so we can start to think, well, here's what God had done. You know, this has been a rough day. Nothing seems to be going right in my day. Everything seems to be against me. And, and yes, I tripped down the stairs with all of my books and you know, I, I embarrassed myself. This is my day. But remember the glorious deeds of God? Remember the mighty works of the God who is with his people? Who is who he proclaims to be? That God is still with me even in my rough day. Or maybe today the kids at school mocked me or excluded me and I feel worthless. But do we remember the glorious deeds of a God who thinks of me as his child, who for his love of me died a death on the cross to to show that love and to claim me, to come after me and seek me as a lost sheep and take hold of me that I might be his forever? That's the glorious deeds of a God who transforms how I think about myself in the midst of a day when I feel worthless and mocked. Maybe today my life collapsed under the weight of an event of intense suffering. 
But remember the glorious might, the glorious deeds of a God who walked with his people through suffering, who walked with his son through the most intense suffering, and who walks with me through even the valley of the shadow of death. See, these glorious deeds, these stories are building up for us, not a random encyclopedia knowledge of of biblical history, but stories about who God is that applies to everything that we are going through now. This is the God that we serve. And this is what Asaph is passing on. Stories, testimonies, things that this God did that tell us who he is and how he transforms everything about us and what we go through. So how we pass on these stories from one generation to the next, that's how God has spelled out generational faithfulness with his people. What we pass on the glorious deeds of God and his testimonies and laws. Lastly and briefly, why? Why tell these stories? Why pass these on? Well, Asaph tells us in verses 7 and 8. Look at verses 7 and 8 in Psalm 78 here. Why does Asaph tell these stories? What's the goal in teaching our children these testimonies and glorious deeds? It's so that they should set their hope in God and not forget the works of their, of their God, but keep His commandments, not being like their fathers who were stubborn, and rebellious. And one commentator notes that that Asaph's burden here, Asaph's goal here, could be described as the shaping of a of a threefold cord of faith, a threefold cord of faith made up of personal trust in God, informed and humble thinking about God, and a will obedient to God. You see how it's described here that they should set their hope on God a personal trust in their God. That they might not forget the works of God, humble and informed thinking about God. And that they might obey their God, that they might keep His commandments. And isn't that that exactly our desire? Isn't that our prayer for our children? That they set their hope on God, that they think rightly, that they not forget the works of God, and that they be obedient to their God. This is the why. This is the goal. This is the treasure. This is the promise that God lays out for the, for the people, for his people as they pass on these stories and these testimonies from one generation to the next. Well, let me just end with, with two very brief comments. Two very brief comments. First, a comment, a comment to you students here. For you students who are here, a brief comment to you. You need to know why the volunteers in this church are taking their time to tell you stories and laws of who God is and what he has done. You know, it is not because you need something to do so that your parents can go off and learn. And so we came up with a few people to tell you stories. It's not because you know, these people are bored and don't have anything to do with their time. It's not because they love children so much, and maybe that's true, but it's not just because they love children so much, they just have to be with them another hour on Sunday mornings. It's not because it's just what churches do, so we better find some volunteers to do it. None of these are why people are taking their time to tell you stories of who God is and what He has done. 
They are doing it because they have a great longing and desire to see you know your God, to see you deeply trust your God, to see you gladly and willingly obey your God because He is worthy of all knowledge, of all faith, of all trust, and all obedience. Your volunteers, your teachers believe that. They believe that that is what you need and that is why they are taking their time to do this. That's why they have given up their own time and their own desires and their own, and their own efforts, their own opportunities to learn to be with you because they long for you to know your God. And you need to know that this process of men and women teaching you the stories and laws of who God is is how they are obedient to God. Your volunteers who are teaching you are obeying God when they tell you these stories. This isn't their idea. They don't come up with the curriculum. Maybe your curriculum has some publisher on it. The publisher didn't come up with it. This is God's command to pass these along. These are God's stories. These are God's laws and testimonies. They, your teachers, your volunteers, are obeying their God and Savior when they tell you these stories. So listen and learn from your teachers so that you might obey God as they are obeying God. And lastly, a brief word to volunteers. Remember why you are doing what you're doing. You need to know that the time of preparation and the time of planning and the time spent with with mentoring and with crying babies is worth it. You give your time, you drain your energy. Some of you even spend a weekend in small spaces with junior high boys who don't shower. Why do you do it? Why do you do it? You do it not because you like to give all of your time, not because you like offended noses, not because you like all of these things. You do it because you know the glorious God we serve and their great passion is that they might know that God too. That they might see and hear and learn the glorious deeds of might of who our God is that you have learned so that they might set their hope in Him. And what else would we want to do? In the end, what else is worth our time? What else is worth our energy? And to obey God by passing on who God is to the next generation, that we might be part of the DNA, of the process that God Himself established for the raising up people who will be faithful to Him. So I can only say thank you. Thank you, volunteers, for your obedience and your faithful role in God's blueprint for faithfulness in His people. Thank you, and most importantly, thanks be to God. Thanks be to God who has stirred your hearts, who has raised up His people to pass on this news and these stories that He might be glorified. May God be glorified as He brings the fruit of this process in this ministry, all for the greater glory of his name. Let's pray. God, I thank you that as we think of who you are, you have not just done something once and abandoned your people. You have acted for your people. 
And then you have told your people how to pass on who you are to the next generation. You've also not just acted once and then told us to pass it on. You are the God who acts and continues to act on behalf of your people. And for these men and women who have given their time and given their energy and given their lives, that they might be part of this process, I thank you and I praise you. I praise you that you are the one who call workers into the field. You are the one who call your people and stir our hearts to serve you and honor you and glorify you with a great passion and desire to see more people know you, obey you, trust you, and set their hope in you. So I pray that you would support your people with strength. I pray that your grace would be with these volunteers, that you would give them wisdom and grace, comfort and strength, words where they need words, and time where they need time, to mentor, to disciple, to teach, and to pass on who you are. And we pray that as you do this, your name would be glorified from more and more hearts, from every corner of this church and from this county, that your name would be lifted up and that we as volunteers would be rejoicing as we see the next generation knowing you, trusting you, setting their hope in you, so that we all, as your people, one generation after the next, give praise, glory, honor, and thanks to the one who is worthy of all praise honor, and glory, and thanks. We pray this through Christ's name.